Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is the Lois J. Wetzel Show, and I'm your host and executive producer, Lois Wetzel, coming to you live this morning from 9 a.m. Houston, Texas, Central Time. I want to remind you to register for Blog Talk Radio. It's free, and if you do that, you can rate my show, mark it as a favorite, and let people know that you were here and listening to my show. You can get reminders of upcoming shows. It's all free. My call-in number is 347-945-5309. You can call using the telephone or Skype. You can listen on your phone or your computer. If you're calling in and you want to ask a question, just hit the number 1 and I'll know that you would like to ask a question. I also want to remind you that I offer a free email newsletter about metaphysics spirituality, the coming changes, all the kinds of things we talk about here on this show. I've been sending this newsletter out for about 12 years, and to sign up for that, you would go to my website, hotpinklotus.com. I do not share email addresses with anyone because your privacy is important. Good morning. This is Lois. I'm in Houston. It's 9 a.m. I'm getting ready to talk with my friend Helen, and where she is, it's 7 a.m. because she's in the Pacific Northwest. And um, Helen and I are going to talk about going with the flow today. She, um, I, I know a lot of people are having to deal with that, things coming up that you're that are very unexpected, especially at this point in time. She's been having an interesting time ever after having left the big city to live in a yurt in the countryside, and she's come into some obstacles that were unforeseen, and now we're going to talk about um, how we sometimes have to um, adjust our path uh, because it doesn't always turn out like we think it is. Now, Helen, I want you to hit the number one so I know which one of these callers that you are. There's some... Um, hit the number. There you go. Thank you. Hi. Hi, good morning. Good morning. So I was, let me tell you what I did this morning is I was uh, having some thoughts about actually a totally not a different subject when um, it occurred to me, I started writing a letter to someone or a group of people actually, and I thought, gosh, this is all about going with the flow. So I'm going to see if I can pull that up and um, and read it to you because it's, uh, Actually, not very long, and it's really right on, on spot. Good. You would break it. Hmm. Apparently, I'm not supposed to. First, we're going to talk about because <laughs> the computer's saying "f you," which <laughs> I'm not doing it. So I'm going with the flow and I'm going to say, okay, Helen. <laughs> so you were living in a situation that you didn't feel was uh, optimal for you in a big city. And then you decided you would go live in a yurt on a 
friend's farm. Is this correct? Yes, I was invited by my friends of of 19 years, the, the farm I lived on 19 years ago as a, a farm intern, and um, they had since built this 30-foot yurt, and um, it had been vacant because they were looking for a carpenter because it wasn't quite finished inside, and they, for a year, had not found a carpenter to live here and fix it up, so they decided to offer it to me, and uh, I eagerly accepted because I love the farm, and the farmland loves me, and so there's a relationship with the land. I have a relationship with the farmers, and mm-hmm. um, I forged a relationship also with the farmer that rents the property and is farming it at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I ask you what kind of phone you're calling on? Oh, I'm on my cell phone. Cell phone, can you get closer to a door or window? Because I'm hearing some static that's going to be recorded. Okay, so go ahead with your story. Is this better? Yeah, I'm not hearing that funny noise. Well, a yurt is really a big tent, so being closer to a door or window doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in you may just not have um, good cell reception out there. That may be what's going on because I'm hearing it again. But just go ahead. We'll just have to deal with it. I'm sorry. It's um, okay. I don't have the Internet here either, and I'll have to say that that's been one of the most difficult adjustments of all of the changes that I'm going through is uh, after having access to high-speed Internet, anytime I want to access my world and my virtual community, that's that has been a challenge to have to go somewhere to get online. It's like worse than going to a laundromat <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. But um, yeah. yeah, so I was invited here and it was a positive thing and old friends and lovely property and the yurt's very feng shuiable and um, beautiful and round, and but there have been many, many, many adjustments to figuring out how to live in a round space. But it was also really delicious to get to have my own space and the feeling that I could live here for a very long time. And I moved. So now I'm only a half hour away from where my daughter and my grandson live, and there were many advantages to this move. So how big? And huh? How big is it? Ten feet across, thirty feet. How big is it wide? Hmm? Well, it's that makes it about seven hundred square feet. Okay. And um, it feels very roomy, and it's. It's sort of divided so that there's a couple of walls and there's a kitchen that's been created and a what I call the dressing room and there's running water in the kitchen but there's no toilet and that was one of the first things where it's like okay so they were going to install a flush toilet before I moved in but then the bids were too high because they had to build a wall, they had to do all this stuff to put the toilet in. Like the major plumbing is already there, but the anyway, it was not going to happen right away. So I'm like, 
okay, well, I can figure out how to not have a flush toilet. There's, I have a shower and a bathroom in the barn, which is about 100 feet away. It's mine to use. So there was that adjustment. <laughs> so and the, the floor is made of what? I'm curious what your floor is. Is oh, it dirt? Uh, no, no. It's like a nice floor. I'll have to post some more pictures for you. Um, it's like the laminated um, wood-looking floor. Mm-hmm. It's like a pergo floor. Oh, okay. And, and Because um, when you said a tent, then I began to wonder just how primitive it was. Oh, yeah. Well... Only in that the temperature outside affects the temperature inside, and anything, any sound outside is like being outside. It's, there's no sound insulation. There's no, and there is some temperature insulation, but not much. So if it's cold, it's cold, and if it's hot, it's hot. I've got a five-foot dome. Uh, lighted a uh, clear dome on the in the center in the middle so it lets in lovely light um and it opens so I can vent it and there's a fan so I can push warm air down if it's cold and I'm running a heater or I can pull hot air up and out if it's warm. Uh, Requires that sounds some lovely, actually. attention. It is. It, it really quite is. So. And I can't say that unless it, there were snow on the ground, I don't think it would bother me to go to the barn, to go to the bathroom. Well, it doesn't bother me. Um, I use my indoor bucket potty for peeing and go to the barn for other things and showering and I can wash my hands and brush my teeth in my kitchen sink, which works. And mm-hmm. um, so there's that. Anyway, it has been really fun to fix it up and really delicious to feel like, ah, finally, ah, this is where spirit wanted me to come and this is where I get to come and settle and be. Until and so you had, were following your intuition in deciding to go there when you were invited, correct? Yes. Okay. Because I'm I'm leading somewhere with this is we can be following our intuition and it'll take us one place in order to then take us to another place. And Apparently. sometimes we think, what did I do wrong? When we're realizing <laughs> that the place where they took us was to get us the heck out of the place where we were and as a staging place for yet another place. Yeah. Has that been your experience in life? Because it has mine. Yes, there are other times I think that that has occurred for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you never know when something is merely a catalyst for something else instead of the thing. And that's certainly been true of relationships <laughs> where I've met someone who was like, oh, my God, and quite important that only turned out to be a catalyst for changing other aspects of myself or shifting me in some way from one state of being to another. And then that relationship was somehow 
satisfied and over with and bewildering to me that it was suddenly gone after being so important, but it was the changing that I went through in the process that turned out to be what mattered. Only when you're in that, it's really hard to tell that. Yeah, spirit does, has on two occasions, no more than two actually, tempted me with an interesting possible partner that got me to go someplace I was thinking about going anyway, and then I became involved with someone, and I moved there thinking, yeah, let's do this. And just as soon as I got moved, it turned out that that was just to get me to move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that wasn't supposed to be a significant relationship for me at all. Yeah. So that's how those things work sometimes. And then you know, then it becomes clear later that, oh, the universe was just tricking me into being where it needed me to be. Yeah. So, yeah. Like that. So after starting to move in and not even feeling very settled yet and not even having moved all my stuff here yet, my friend said to me one morning, two, little over two weeks ago, we've decided that it's not working for us for you to be here and we want you to move out. Mm. What? <laughs> that Thanks was... Uh, so much. That, that was uh, that was tough. That was like, but I'm so happy. <laughs> but they weren't happy. And they, why they weren't happy doesn't really matter and how irrational a decision <clears throat> that turned out to be doesn't really matter either because it's like, what so? Oh, I do want to say, Lois, that the other thing is that this has all happened within the shadow of Mercury retrograde. Even though mm-hmm. the decision was made before Mercury went retrograde, I was moving all during Mercury retrograde. And it's like dum, they, called, dum, they, dum. <laughs> so they called me like at the beginning of the shadow and then they told me to move out at like the end of the shadow. It was just unbelievably. You were cool. not there even a month. What? You were not even there a month. No. Wow. So, but the but the shadow is like a couple weeks before the retrograde actually starts, and then it extends a couple weeks after it's over. So within that entire period of time is when this whole thing happened. And I was moving during retrograde, and I knew better because a friend of mine moved into a place, was really excited, she moved into a place right when Mercury turned retrograde, and I'm like, oh, I don't think that's going to last. And she was there about six weeks, and the people she'd moved in with were crazy. Well, they were extremely unrealistic about how to behave with other people in the house and they wanted her to move out and that was shocking and disruptive but she was not enjoying it either and she cast about and by then Mercury was over with and she found a household to move into and moved in with a man that was advertising and 
they got to be very good friends and got along quite well, and now they're totally in love. (laughs) So something that turns out to be a temporary thing, then the next thing turns out, in her case, was the perfect thing. Yeah, so that's how spirit works sometimes, and it has to get you out of a situation that you are in in order to make that happen sometimes. Yeah. 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 And and so what, my, techniques, my, go what ahead. techniques are you going to use to uh, decide, or is, are there any techniques that you use to decide where to go next? Oh, besides whining to God? <laughs> How does that work for you? <laughs> that doesn't work. Um it's, uh, it's not a very empowered stance. <laughs> it, no, it's, and, it, and it gets you more of what you don't want. Uh, well, I, it's hard. It's hard to hear when I'm if I'm whining. So mm-hmm. um, first, there's the adjusting to. Okay, so this isn't it, and like all I've been doing is adjusting, and now I have an unknown. Again, but I've been in unknowns before. It seems to be part of my past. But I, I wanted to say my general sense of of the ascension and then shifting from a 3D world to a 5D world is that we are all being asked to go through unprecedented amounts of change and learn how to change and learn how to be flexible and learn how to not expect things to always be the same and some people unfortunately right now are going through horrendous experiences of that with earth changes and with floods and tornadoes and drought and fires and earthquakes and so there are sudden disruptions that make your world as you knew it come to an end and it's like okay, now we have to figure out how to go on and come together and make this work. And and hopefully that's not how everyone has to do it. But there is my b- belief for myself, and when I look around, is that there's a lot of changing that as a whole culture and as a whole planet we still have to go through. And so learning how to be at grace with change and surrendering to the unknown and to affirming a belief that I'll be okay no matter what, these are the things for me to learn and these are the things that I'm practicing and perhaps modeling to others but It's about not going into fear or despair. Or if I do go into fear and despair, not staying there very long because they don't serve me. And remembering that I'm a powerful human being and that I have choices and I have the ability to create my reality. And so what do I want to create? And let's do that. Very good. So I want to underlined for people who didn't really hear it, that everybody has a tendency to go into poor pitiful pearl mode and have a pity party, but 
um, it doesn't serve us because consciousness is everything. And if we focus on gratitude for what we do have, and if we um, work hard at at staying in a positive place, and what I've been doing lately is listening to uh, bossa nova music because it gets me really, really happy. And the more you can stay in that place, the more you manifest what you want because what you focus on, and this is becoming more and more true as time goes on, as we, as time is speeding up and we're nearing this thing people are calling us ascension or as we are experiencing it gradually actually is what's happening, that the more you, um, whatever you focus on, you get more of. And so it's really important to monitor your thoughts and your feelings and do whatever you have to do to stay happy. And at, and another thing you can do is ask your guides for help and um, that it's it's really important not to get mired down in self-pity because I think that a lot of people don't know that. I mean, we all do it, to a, most of us do it to a certain extent, but if we can get out of it, um, then that's how we get what we want. There's a Unity minister who's got a website or got a, a YouTube thing that I sent out to a lot of people recently called How Do You Know If You Are Focusing on What You Don't Want? Here's How You Know. You're complaining. <laughs> oh, I saw that. Yeah, I thought that was good. Yeah. If you're complaining, then you're focusing on what you don't want and you're going to get more of it. The universe exactly is neutral right. and awaits your instructions. That's my that's my sentence there. The universe is neutral and awaits your instructions. So what you focus on, you get more of. Yeah. And you asked me about <clears throat> what practices I use and I realized that on a daily basis, I do look for what to be grateful for and having read Eckhart Tolle's um, books about practicing being present and that's where I have any power. Um, I do look around and so today I have a roof, I have food, I have... Today I have a place and today I have, right now, I have a friend on the phone and an opportunity to share and today I'm warm and that's, you know, it's like right this minute I'm fine. So and is the air clean and the sun out? Um, There's actually a bit of blue sky after we've had nothing but rain and rain and rain and cold and rain. So, yeah, yeah right now, and right now, the rain sky sounds, is blue. <laughs> good. That rain sounds good to me because we're having a horrible drought. Oh, my. I know. Horrific. It's, it's been going busy. on for a while Not now. Not quite distributed so well. No. But, and then the water is inequitably distributed this year. I think the people along the Mississippi would agree. Yeah. They've They've got it all, and we have none. Yeah. N O N E wow. with the capital letters. So, uh, <laughs> oh, and then the other thing that I do is I also use the most benevolent outcome requests on. Yeah. When I drive off to go somewhere, I'm requesting a most benevolent outcome for my drive and for the other people on the road, and I'm requesting it for what comes next in my life and in the in a big picture way and 
in very specific things, I'm always asking for my guides and angels to be with me and to help me for a most benevolent outcome. And I'm, as often as I remember, I'm saying thank you and I'm being grateful for all of it and not just the good stuff. I read a really great book once about being grateful for even the icky stuff because you don't even really know what that's for either. But I mean, for things that feel like this is not what I wanted, I can say thank you for this thing that's not what I wanted because I get to practice doing it anyway and being different and rising above my old perspective to something wider that can be at peace with whatever is happening. That's very wise of you, and that's why I call you Wise Helen. <laughs> it is. And, well, one okay. of the many and so that reminds me that's a whole other thing to do is to have as much humor about it as possible. I mean, whatever it is, whatever is wrong, it's like it, you got to make it funny because otherwise it's too painful. <laughs> so laughing in spite of it or because of it or going to the extreme of well, the absurdity of it, whatever works. And bossa nova music, I think, is an excellent idea because dancing and being happy, it's so not what we were taught ever growing up about how the world works. And the part about wanting to be right and it doesn't matter if I'm right because... <laughs> that's just going to make me unhappy because if someone else isn't right and they're not doing what I think they should do and they're doing it wrong, it's like, well, doesn't matter. Yeah, when I'll tell you, somebody once said to me, people need to take a look at, do you want to be right or do you want to be loved? Because people who are right all the time are not very lovable. I think huh. that was Yeah. If you've got to be right all the time, if a person, not you, Helen, but if a person has to be right all the time, it's really hard to feel affectionate towards somebody that's working that hard to be right. And it's hard. It's it's pretty human to want to be right, but it's, it is true. And the less flexible someone is, I guess, then, yes, that becomes rather in the way. And And so that's a barrier to love indeed. Indeed. So it's the it's that working with my ego then because it's my it's my egoic mind that's all about being right and justified and in control and ugh. Yeah, that's, control's an illusion anyway. We are not in control. <laughs> not one last bleep in one of us is in control. That's just an illusion. Oh, Yes. Pure and simple. And it's easy to get that intellectually, but emotionally, that's another story altogether. Yeah. Getting and that can heart. really that can really put me in my fear. It's like, oh I have no control. I can go really into a place of fear about that. But that's when that's when my metaphysical training it's like, okay, remember, remember who I am, remember that I have a choice. No matter what, in this particular moment, 
I have a choice about how I feel. I have a choice about how I think about this. I have a choice about my beliefs about what's happening and re-choose something that feels better than than my righteousness or my fear and re-choose to like, okay, well, they aren't the horrible people that I think they are. They're frightened and and misinformed. And I can have compassion for my friends instead of they're bad and wrong and I'm right and they're victim. So there's a big difference between I'm right and I'm their victim to they're having a hard time and they're really in fear and and I have something to learn here and I can do it different. Exactly, exactly. And you know, if you're coming from fear, if you are feeling fear, um, you know that the ego is in control because that's how the ego functions, is by putting fear into us. Spirit never mm-hmm. has fear. So, that's true. Um, Anyway. Well, so what I think is is this experience for me and a lot of people is that we are on the brink of so much more change and so much more social change and cultural change and as a paradigm shift uh, for the whole planet. And some people who are much more comfortably settled in a reality have perhaps more challenge in going through the changes that I think are up for all of us in the in the days ahead and and I don't mean that in a scary way I mean that in an opportunity way so as far as going with the flow it's like the more I can let go of how I think the world is supposed to be or how it's always been and therefore always will be, the more I can loosen up those beliefs and and leave room in my being and in my life for, well, it could be really different and it could it could work in a whole different way. It could, you know, I could... It's amazing what I can learn to do without. The biggest adjustment for me, like I said, was letting go of having the internet all the time. It was like, Bleh. so um, I had to start looking around for actual people to interact with <laughs> instead of being on Facebook, um, for example. Lord have mercy on my soul. You're talking to real people. She <laughs> could reach out and touch their skin, actually, if they were. <laughs> Nervous Nelly? (laughs) That sounds good. (laughs) Just the other day, there were a whole series of of traffic lights that had gone out um, at a a busy intersection with multiple lanes. And I'm like, okay, so here's an interesting situation where people who are so, I mean, when we're in our cars, we're all like, there's all these agreements about how traffic works anyway. Um, And... And so all of a sudden, the 
the the structure of being in a car and it's like you stop at the red light and you go at the green light, that's not there. All of a sudden, how do people figure out how we're going to get multiple lanes? It's not like turning into a four-way stop. It's like there's three lanes here and two lanes here and and there's got to be some agreement about all these lanes have to stop for all these lanes to go and people to take turns and negotiate that, suddenly that puts us into, oh, it's not at all like it's supposed to be. How do we behave? How do we figure this out? And how do we do this in a cooperative way? And it was fascinating going through, and there were not just one intersection but four in a row that I got to experience that with before I got to a part of town where the next set of lights were operating. So just something that simple is is an ex, is an opportunity to go, oh, look, reality is all different in this intersection. How do we do it? And how do we do it together mm-hmm. with strangers, with people we don't know, and cooperate so that we all get where we want to go? I thought that was a... That was a easy ex, um, example of suddenly it's all different. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a good metaphor for some of the changes we're, we're about to go through because don't we have to find new ways of relating when a tsunami hits or when a, a giant tornado wipes out half the city we live in or... Massive flooding pushes us all into a position of refugee, like a lot of us in the United States are experiencing right now. Don't we have to come up with different ways of relating to people and new rules about how to be human with one another? Absolutely. And so some people are getting extreme experiences of that. I mean, when your house is suddenly gone, it's an extreme experience of disorientation and, oh, my goodness, um, um, it's, it's it's really hard. And that's when, I mean, that's shocking and life-changing and life will never be the same. And that's, a, that's really hard. And that takes lots of grace and lots of patience and lots of grief and grieving of what was and that's hopefully not everybody has to go through those extreme experiences but we're all being invited I think to go through change either suddenly or gradually but there's a day when it's all different than the day before. There's a day I thought I had a place to live, and then the next day I I didn't. Um, there's a, There was a day when I had a job, and then the next day my whole team got laid off, and I didn't have a job. And I mean, that was years ago, but it's the same kind of thing. It's like those some of those changes are quite shocking and and yet 
because we're really quite powerful and because we've not always understood how how to use our power or how to and because our consciousness is changing and so that that has changed our sense of empowerment and control well I don't want to use the word control but command of our own world of our own thoughts of our own feelings or my own feelings anyway I can only speak for myself I I now choose to well, what's the Asian saying about um, crisis is really opportunity just, crisis yeah. equals opportunity yeah so I'm really looking for how to see this as an opportunity when when not what I wanted is happening to me. Mm-hmm. And the more I can go there, the more I can remember that, the less awful the experience is going to be for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been been typing to someone on Skype. I believe she's calling from England, and she was mentioning, um, I mean, on the chat, um, she was mentioning that there was an experiment in Holland where they removed all the street signs and lights. And so we're going to open up and let her tell us about that briefly. Oh, great. Hello, Ascension Circle. Are you there? She's calling on Skype. Ascension Circle, are you there? Hello? I'm not hearing her. Oh. Sometimes Skype works like that. I think it was just bought out by Microsoft, <laughs> which means I don't mean to be negative, but... <laughs> oh, I'm not going to comment. <laughs> People were joking about it on Facebook yesterday. Skype down? Oh, uh, yeah, Microsoft bought it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, okay. John, Ascension Circle is John. My partner is Helena. Okay, well, I tried to open the line, but I couldn't hear you. All right. Let's see. I'm I'm going to tell you about this thing I wrote this morning, and it's if you want to go read the whole thing, it's on my website under Newsletter Archives, and it's called um, Fulfilling Your Destiny-Archetypes. And... I'm talking at length about how I wanted certain things and couldn't do them, but in following um, inner promptings and urges, I uh, let me read it to you. If it gets to be too wordy, well, then we'll skip around here and just talk about it. When I was 18 and started college, I desperately wanted to be a doctor. I carry the healer archetype among my grouping of archetypes. According to Jungian psychology, everyone carries several universal archetypes in their personalities or character, and healer is one of mine. But I couldn't do the math to do pre-med. However, someone had given me a scholarship for art, and since I was putting myself through college, I needed the money. $500 was a lot of money to me back then. So my art teacher said from high school, she said that if I accepted this scholarship, I had to major in art for at least a year. I did, and I was hooked. It felt like coming home to be doing something I was good at. And I made A's like a falling off a log. I could do it in my sleep. It was so easy, and I was having fun. It was a good thing I could do it in my sleep since the rest of the time I was working. 
And I thought things like, what idiot couldn't do this easily? Um, because if you're gifted or really good at something, that's what you think. It looks, it, Everyone should be able to do it. Um, and I enjoyed doing it. And I think that's one of the markers of, are you doing something you're supposed to be doing? Because I loved it. I loved doing it. I felt good. I was nurtured and healed by it. And then a few years later, when I was teaching high school art for a couple of years, I found out how difficult art actually was for most people. And then later, about a year after that, when I went to my grad or two, uh, when I went to my graduate conference at the end of my MFA, my Master of Fine Arts degree, my committee of professors casually mentioned to me for the first time in all the years they'd known me that I was a master colorist. And I didn't know this because, as Lady Gaga says, I was born that way. They were surprised that I was surprised. I just thought other people had a perfectly good reason for using what I thought were ugly colors. After all, Picasso and Brock did it on purpose. They didn't want color to distract from their cubism. I was just naturally doing something I was good at, not knowing that it was unusual. My experience out of that is that life is easier when we're doing something we're good at. We're going with the flow. And I didn't know where that path would lead me when I embarked on it. Looking back, I realized that making art fulfilled Two archetypes, That's, those two are not mentioned in this little thing here. It's, uh, one is the artist archetype, and the other is the mystical archetype, because I had visions when I was making art. I channeled it, but I didn't know the word channeling. I did know collective unconscious, and that's the term I used. And I hadn't heard of archetypes until I was much older. Uh, but union analysts say we cannot be happy unless we fulfill our archetypes. So I followed that path of least resistance, and the next thing that happened was that I got married and had children, which fulfilled one of my primary archetypes, which is the benevolent mother. And I'm not saying I was a perfect mother, but I did my best to be the best I could. And what the benevolent mother does that the bad mother doesn't is she observes the child carefully and then nurtures and encourages the child's innate talents. She does not impose her will upon the child to grow up to be something the mother always wanted to be or to fulfill the mother's unfulfilled longing. That's the bad mother. Um, I can't say, um, well, later when I moved to Austin, I went to massage school for a variety of reasons. Even though I had two college degrees, I went to massage school, one of which was to be at home when my children got out of school. But massage turned out to be a healing profession, and I didn't realize that at the time. And at the start of that path, I couldn't see where it was going. It was like a weaving path through the woods, and the trees obscured where the path was going. Mm-hmm. Yet I made that decision from an inner urging, which has led me through the years to the place where I'm ably, able easily to fulfill the healer archetype with energy medicine. And this terminology didn't even exist when I started massage school. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to medical school because, fortunately for me, I couldn't do the math. But to my gradual surprise, I've emerged at the cutting edge of a new form of medicine, which is quickly taking over the old paradigm, and I'm often able to heal people of things which medical doctors can't even touch. This also fulfills the archetype of revolutionary, which is actually quite large in me. So is mm-hmm. the teacher archetype, and I'm fulfilling that one too. Mm-hmm. And the point is this. I have observed that if we go with the flow and do what we're good at, what is exciting to us, what's easy, we eventually end up where we belong as though guided by an unseen hand, which may simply be our inner nature. I metaphorically walked a winding path through the woods by doing what I was good at, 
or what excited me and or what I felt an inner prompting or urge to do or try. I could not see where that would lead me when I first took the steps. I eventually emerged in a good place over and over, and perhaps it's our own subconscious which blocks us from doing what is not in sync with our true nature. I'm not certain, but I do believe it's helpful for everyone to ask, what are my archetypes, and am I fulfilling them? Have I already fulfilled some? Am I the warrior, the hero, the inventor genius, the rescuer, the benevolent mother, mother, the innocent, the lover, the wizard, the king or queen, the mystic, the teacher? And only you know for sure by your by the description if it resonates with you. And there's mm-hmm. some disagreement as to what the archetypes are precisely, but there are a couple of references on this newsletter page to tell you where to go look at the archetypes so you can figure out what yours are. And um, the website, again, is hotpinklotus.com, and then go to Newsletter Archives, and it's the one at the top. Cool. Fulfilling Your Destiny. Oh, that's good. I, that's a fairly succinct um description of of your life path to date that that sort of puts all that in perspective and and that's that sense of not knowing when you take a first step or even a second step what that's about particularly but that we just keep taking steps and look where look where it takes us it's just a, a beautiful unfolding journey Mm-hmm. And, and you uh, can't see where that path's going. You have there to. Are, you have to just take the next step. I think I can open the line. I think I can open the line to John. It turns out it's John in England. You there, John? Hi. You're cutting out pretty much, but let's. Can you tell us about the uh, experiment in Holland where they took down the signs on the roads? Well. Um, it happened a few years ago, um, <clears throat> maybe 10 years ago, and it was a small town. I don't know how big it was, maybe 3,000 people, 10,000 people, I'm not sure, but it it was a sizable town anyway. And they decided that they would experiment with completely removing all the road signs and all the traffic lights in this town because they were having so many accidents and they, they just needed to do something about it. And someone came up with this idea of removing all the signs and then everybody would have to cooperate and co-create to form a new paradigm, if you like. And it worked completely. And they, the, the, the planning authorities were very, very sceptical about this and they decided that they wouldn't adopt it for the whole country. But it was a very successful experiment. And I just thought I wanted to share that with you after uh, Helen's comments. So I, I'm honoured that you've asked me to come and share that, and um, thank you very much. So, John, do you think it would work in a large city, or do you think it was just the size of the town that made it happen? Well, having having driven in Naples in Italy and enjoyed the fact that they didn't obey any of the traffic lights or any of the road signs, I think it probably would, Bay, and they don't seem to have any more accidents than than than, than we do. Where they have a lot of rules and uh, lots of uh, speed assessment cameras that seem to be more to do with revenue collecting than than uh, actually cutting down fatalities or accidents. 
You're right. We voted those down last year here in Houston. So you were cutting out, John, when you said where this occurred. Um, well, I I know it was in a, 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 a relatively. No, I mean, where were you driving that they didn't obey rules? Oh, they sorry. Had their... um, I was in Naples in Italy. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. It, it, oh, yeah. It, Famous for Italia. famous for driving and and Mexico is another place where the rules are suggested but they don't particularly Absolutely. follow them and they're their just, driving a, is amazing. It's amazing. Oh yeah, it's scary it's just, but amazing. I'm I'm afraid to drive in Mexico City, but nobody <laughs> seems to bang into each other. You obviously cool. need a Hummer or something like that to drive in. So. <laughs> oh, that's great, John. That's really neat. I'm glad you shared Thank you. that. And Thank yeah, you for sharing said, that. Well, I'm, I, I've been enjoying your your show and and your chat together, and um, the yurt sounded really wonderful. And I hope you get another one soon. And um, or something better. I'd love to come and spend a you know a little while in it meditating or something. That would be fun. Oh, it would. It's great for that. Thank you. I'm I'm coming to the states in in November this year, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to with my wife and I and our son. We're going to Cahokia, just on the Mississippi, I think it is. Oh and it's one of the places in the states where you have pyramids. So that's very interesting. Yeah, you know what? We call them medicine mounds here, and we think the Native Americans created them, but they're pyramids. Some of them are older than that, though, aren't they? Oh, yeah. We have not even begun to unearth them, but, um, you know, Samiros Monagic in um, uh, Bosnia has found some, you know, there. I know. I I listened to uh, the Megalithomania conference that was in Glastonbury, the weekend before last, and I heard his talk, and it's really fascinating what he's saying. And mm, you know, it, it, he also it, has a house in Houston, so I know him. He's, he's all right. Yeah, well, he's really an cool. extraordinary man, and mm-hmm. and and, it, and it's interesting. I'm being connected with, with a lot of people that are um, uh, uh, involved with the pyramids, and and my I I see into other lives, and I also see like like the the mechanisms of these um devices like pyramids and just as the ones in in Bosnia were uh, or are power generators and the the ones in Egypt are power generators i get that many of the ones in in the united states are also power generators and exactly. we we just need to remember how to use this technology because exactly. we get, we are actually going to need it again Yes, we are. Hey, John, do you have something to write with? Uh, I've got a keyboard. <laughs> okay. I want you to email me, Lois, L-O-I-S, at hotpinklotus.com. <laughs> tell me, hotpinklotus.com, and tell me uh, how to get in touch with you so that when you come to the States, you know how to find me and Helen. Okay. What about the- I can't. You were cutting out. Say again. Where are you in the United States? I am in Houston. Oh which yes, is near the you... Gulf Coast. Yes, yes, yes. My wife has been and to Houston. I know where there's a pyramid not far north of here. Oh, good. Deep, that would be deep, a, lots of dirt that over would be it. To go. 
It's on private property, but I'll see if we can get uh, permission to go up there and douse. We'll see. <laughs> so, you're going to email me? Yes, I will. Yes. Okie doke. I'm going to um, close the line. And, so, was there something? I was going to say you can you can look at uh, um, the Ascension Circle on Blog Talk Radio, and you okay. you can add me as a friend, and you can also send me a message on there if you want to. Alrighty then, I'll do that. So that'll come Thank through you. to me. But I've I've got your your email address, so that's great. Okay, great. I look forward to hearing from you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's nice. great. Bye-bye. I love it. Yeah. That kind of you know here we go. We're talking about go with the flow. Uh, how, how to how to function and and the, shift the paradigm and and suddenly it's like. Well, yeah, there's these pyramids, and they're all over the planet, and we don't even know how to use them. And, and you know, it's sort of like traffic and pyramids. And I've still got to tell my refrigerator story, Lois. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was great. I'm really glad that John shared that. That was that was wonderful. And that whole understanding about traffic. I have a friend, my friend Kathy, who's been on this show with you, has a theory that when we are in traffic, we are all in a field of agreement about how it works anyway, um, or there would I think there would be a lot more accidents. So it's something about working with, with field, uh, the field of consciousness that is people driving in cars that makes it work at all. That's her theory, but... but um, I like that. So I wanted to share this little bit about this is a this is a short story about adjusting to when something doesn't work like I think it's going to work. What do I do about it? So you tell you before and, you start. We've got six minutes left. I'm just warning you. Okay. Okay. I, I think I can tell this in three. So okay. Um, when I and this is all during Mercury retrograde, it turned out that I was trying to do all this stuff that didn't work. So in preparing to move to the yurt, I went to the um, Habitat for Humanity Restore store, and I bought a used refrigerator for 50 bucks, and I had them run it before I bought it. It's like, oh, it sounds, you know, it's quiet, that's good, because in the yurt, the sound is everywhere, and um, so I hauled it a hundred miles to where to the yurt from where I had been living, and I it was really heavy, and got it in house and plugged it in, and it ran perfectly for twelve hours, and then it quit. <laughs> I hadn't even put anything in it yet. I'm like, uh oh, this is terrible. So now I'm this big. What am I going to do? Okay, what am I going to do? Um. It's sort of this belief that we have to have refrigerators. And so I. it turned out that there's a big freezer in the barn that's 100 feet away. And I so I started, so I figured out I could use the freezer section of the refrigerator for an ice box. And I had these bottles of water that I would freeze, and I switched them out every day. And I would use the freezer section for my refrigerator, and then... There were ants in the yard, and I was trying to keep them out of my food, so I figured out, oh, gee, I could put them in the 
bottom part of the refrigerator and they can't get in there and I have ant-free food. So in a, in a month, I have been living with a dead refrigerator and making it work as an icebox and a food storage and it's sort of, now it's sort of like no big deal and I'm doing just fine with it being a dead refrigerator. You know, bobbing and waving is how we're going to uh, be, I think, living more and more as time moves on. Um, there are a couple of things I want to say uh, before we close, one of which is uh, my book, Akashic Records Case Studies of Past Lives, is now available on Amazon. I'm very excited about that. And if you Yay. go to Amazon under books and type in Akashic Records Case Studies, my book will come up. And if you've read it and you like it, please click on like. And if you feel like writing a couple sentences in review, please do that because if, uh, and I'm saying that to everybody listening, because if you do, it's going to raise the book uh, up in the rankings in terms of how soon people will see it. And um, the other thing is, oh, next week, you're going to love this. We've got I've got a woman I found her on Facebook. Um, she just got her PhD and 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 her dissertation is on uh, the child mystic. Miracles kept secret is the name of the book she's writing about it, and and it's uh, she says this. Have you ever wondered what happens to kids who are able to see things that no one else sees? Child visionaries who see religious figures and other supernatural phenomena. These types of experiences are quite often viewed as abnormal, like the visionary's crazy, or the work of the devil. In this interview, Dr. Irene Blinston will break open the lie perpetuated by science and Christian religions, which has forced many people who were childhood visionaries into a lifetime of secrecy. Dr. Blinston is one of the first researchers to tread this touchy territory, spending seven years studying adults who experienced supernatural visionary events as children. During her research, Dr. Blinston discovered that people are impacted by these events and they experience some amazing lifelong after effects. Dr. Blinston says that it is important to educate and train health care providers, teachers, clergy, and parents in order to help kids who are often changed by these events. If you think you may have experienced a visionary event as a child or your child may have, you'll want to tune in to this interview. I think it's her first radio interview ever, and she's coming on next week. I'm real excited about it. Wow, that sounds great. Yeah. That sounds great. I, I have loved talking with you today. I really appreciate your coming. And I hope we can do it again. Thank you, Lois. Well, I hope to be able to provide an update once I have successfully trans transitioned my life to wherever it is going to be next. And I think um, everybody's going to want to hear that because <laughs> right now there's a big question mark, and it's like we're hanging on tenterhooks waiting to find out what happens to Wise Helen. Yes. Well, so everyone so, can help me by holding the vision of that I'm finding the most wonderful next place. And for all of the people who are also in the same boat as me, and there are many, I am sure, we can help each other by understanding everyone is finding their perfect place and their perfect opportunities, and things work out way much better than we can even imagine for all of us. Yes. And that's a great place to stop. Thank you again for being here. I love talking to you. You're welcome. And thanks to you.
everybody who came to listen to my show today and who comes later in the archives. I appreciate you as well.